This is Shane Holloway, one of Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is September 19th, 2021. And we've got a special late summer edition of the Summer Session Interview Series. Mike, how are you today? Tommy, I'm not gonna lie, man. I'm I'm hurting here today. I I'm getting old. I'm getting old. My my brother just turned is turning 40. I had a good friend around the corner who was turning 40. I had some late drinks on Friday night to celebrate one, and I couldn't hang for the party the next day for the second. It, I had to like tap out early. It was embarrassing, man. But Mike, you just gotta IV that coffee in the morning, man. Get get your body going. Get it ready. We're here to talk Seton Hall Pirates basketball. I'll get up for this one. I'm, I'm excited for this one. As, as always, we're excited, right? And I always am intrigued when we get to kind of potentially hear the behind-the-scenes story straight from the mouth of somebody who is, you know, a part of the story itself. So Ty Shine coming on. We're going to get to kind of peel back the curtain and kind of get to hear his perspective. We've heard from other people, such as Mike McEnany, Marcus Toniel. Tell us about that fateful season where they had the heralded recruiting class and a bunch of uh, upperclassmen coming back from the sweet 16 team and ultimately the chemistry not working out and a very talented team kind of going off the rails but ty's got more to his story than just that specific kind of episode in his life right and we're going to get to talk about the sweet 16 game the temple overtime win you know there, there's a lot of pieces to his story that are intriguing beyond that one aspect of what people remember him for. And I will always say this, it's not fair, Tommy. It's not fair. He sandwiched in between Shaheen Holloway and Andre Barrett. And all we remember is the saga. And I want Ty to be able to kind of tell his story beyond that moment. You know, Ty's always been kind of one of my guilty pleasures. And I don't mean that in a kind of disrespectful way, because he was a talented ball player, but Think about it, Mike. That was kind of the glory days of Seton Hall point guards. Like you said, we had Shaheen Holloway and Andre Barrett, and here we got Ty Shine straddling both of them, and he ends up uh, backing them both up. And you had four years where your point guard play was top-notch, regardless of whether your starter was in or whether you had your backup in. And, and, if you, and it was surprising when you look at Ty's overall numbers, he just missed out on 1,000 points for his career. He As just a missed backup. out getting At, that ball with 1,000 on it. 
as a backup though. So I mean, that means backup almost funny, right? You know, it's impressive. So hey, I'm a, I'm looking forward to this. He's gonna have some good stories about some good times, and let's get to it. He was a member of the 1999-2000 team that last reached the Sweet 16 for the Pirates, played in 122 career games, and scored 986 career points. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Ty Shine. Ty, how are you this morning? I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing well. Thanks for joining the show today. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank, thank, thanks for having me. No, no, you guys make the show for us in the summertime. Without the ex-ball players, we'd have nothing else better to do. But uh, I, I think we have a, a younger audience mixed in with an older audience. And I'm going to be honest, I guarantee you, not everybody knows that you are originally from Augusta, Georgia. So most Pirate fans who follow the recruiting scenes are totally familiar with what goes on in, like, the New Jersey, New York scenes. But, you know, that's not where all the best talent comes from in the country. I know that we, we want to sit there and say, hey, the best talent comes from the Northeast in the metro area here. But what was the Georgia high school basketball scene like? And what was the reputation of players when you were playing on the circuit back then? Well, it, it was it was real good, man. Um, you got to think. Uh, when I was in the Big East, for Augusta to be a you know considered a small town, we had three guys that was from that area that was in the Big East during my time that I was there. If you remember, uh, Ricky Moore from uh, UConn, he Heck won yeah. the national championship. Yeah. Yep. He he and I, uh, his high school and my high school was rivals. And then um, Bontigo Cummins from Pitt. Okay. Uh, yeah. A, both of those a, guys. He was a Swiss Army knife. Like that guy could do everything. Yep, yep. And um, those guys, they were two years uh, ahead of me. When they came out of school, they were rivals. Uh, they were the best two guys, you know, from our area. And um, just like you said with the New York, New Jersey area, to me, if those guys were from major cities, they probably could have made the McDonald's All-American game that year. The The game was loaded that year that they came out, you know, with, with uh, Stephon Marbury, Chauncey Billups, Wayne Turner. They came out with that class. But just like you guys said, with being from up north, that comes with a whole lot, you know what I mean? And um, I got a chance to experience that throughout my years of college, the pros of being from a New York, New Jersey area because – you got to think in the 80s and uh, the early 90s, that's where all the talent came from. But just like you alluded to, it spread it all over now. New York is not the mecca of basketball for high school anymore. It's oh, all slow, slow down, Ty. Slow down, Ty. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, it's, it's a couple of guys that I laugh with to this day about it because that was one of the reasons that I chose Seton Hall because I felt like coming up, that was if you could make it in the Big East or in the New York, New Jersey area, that was saying a whole lot. But now, me, I coach AAU, I coach my son. New York is way in the way far gone now. You know, it's the DCs, the the Floridas, the Georgias, the Midwest teams now that's just ruling AAU high school basketball now. All right, so you said that Ricky Moore was your rival high school or played for your rival high school. Who got the better of it? When you guys went head to head. Okay, well now you gotta think. He had William Avery from Duke on his team. Oh really? Oh, so Yeah, was... yeah, yeah. And, and 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 we our city got a lot of love because 
I don't know if you remember, they played against each other in the national championship. Sure. When sure. UConn they did, won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pick up set. And they, they, yep. And they were backcourt mates. They went to the same high school. So my freshman year, we got the better of them. Me and William was rivals, but that was my childhood rival all the way up to high school. We came out the same year. But Ricky and Vontillo were two years older than us. So my freshman year, we got the better of them. That was uh, me and Rick, uh, William's freshman year, which was Ricky's junior year. Then Ricky's senior year, all my seniors left me, so I was left you know, pretty much on my own. So they, they got the better of us that year those those years that that must have been a crazy talented high school team with both william avery and ricky playing on that same they squad, they, they 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 went they went undefeated and won the state championship that year my goodness but so after high school you end up spending a year of prep ball up in connecticut and that had to be like you know, oh my goodness, nice, nice kid from Georgia, used to the warm weather, coming up to the, coming up to the Connecticut winters. You know, why did you end up all the way up at Milford instead of staying closer to home? What happened was I did all of my years of high school in Augusta, and then my senior year of high school, I went to high school in Cincinnati, and then I graduated from Cincinnati and went to Milford, but I didn't have my test scores. So I had my core coming out of um, high school, but I didn't have my test scores. So I went to Milford for post-grad, and I ended up passing the ACT the first time that they gave it. So that's why I came to Seton Hall in the second half of the school that year. I just didn't play. Our state wanted me to come in the second part and start playing. I don't know if you remember Tim Floyd. He was the coach of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, he was the coach at our state at the time. So once I passed my scores, I was eligible to play in college that the second half of the season. I just didn't want to waste a, a whole season on a half a season, if well, that sure. makes sense. That, oh, that makes perfect sense. So I went to um, Milford. Uh, I was up there with uh, Zach Marbury, Stephon Marbury's younger brother, a lot of guys that played on Riverside Church. Uh, I don't know if you remember Abdul Mills went to Providence. All of us was at Milford together, and uh, you know the the, the legendary AAU uh, Riverside team. They had they sent a lot of guys to Milford that year as well. Well, it's funny, right? Like how quickly things change in this business of college basketball. I don't care what anybody says; it's a business, right? Tim Floyd exactly. eventually gets hired by Jerry Reinsdorf to go coach the Chicago Bulls in July of 1998. But the rumors started to kind of circulate that he was the lead candidate to replace Phil Jackson kind of way before that announcement. If my prep school coach, that's what he was telling me when Tim Floyd, he flew personally on a jet to come watch me play because they needed a point guard very bad. They had a McDonald's All-American out there by the name of Marcus Pfizer. I remember Marcus Pfizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I flew, I flew out there. They, they, like I said, they was, he told me he was going to give me the ball. And the only way I was coming out the game was if I was tired. <laughs> That's how bad they needed a point guard. Or, or foul trouble. Maybe. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yep. And uh, my prep school coach, he was like, well, Ty, you know, it's a lot of talks that he's not going to be there next year. So you're exactly right about that. So if, if Floyd doesn't go to the bulls, are you a cyclone? Um, It was tough because, 
I I I was a, a real far away from school. I mean, you know, from home, going to the Midwest versus the East Coast. And in my childhood, I always was into college basketball, and I always wanted to be in the Big East. I always really wanted to go to Syracuse. You know, oh I no, wanted, I was, no I was time, a not Syracuse. I was a, I was a, yeah, I was a diehard Syracuse guy, and um. You know, that didn't work out. So, and then, you know, I also picked Seton Hall because at the time they was on the up and coming. They had a new coach. And, you know, back versus when the Terry DeHead days, the PJ Carlissimo days, Seton Hall kind of, you know, basketball had kind of, you know, went down versus, you know, the national attention. So when I was, I was like, you know what, Ty, you go here, you could, you know, be one of the guys that turned, the program around, you know what I mean? Be a part of it, not just me, but be a part of a situation to where, you know, you could get the, the ball back rolling and getting Seton Hall back on the, you know, the national stage that it was on back in those days. And um, I like the coach Amica, you know, he was a young coach at the time. And um, that's, you know, that was how I ended up choosing Seton Hall. All right. So there's, there's Iowa state. I mean, people were saying that, you know, you were attracted to coach Rob Jackson Tommy Amaker up and coming. Who else was in the mix at that time? Uh, Cincinnati and uh, the University of Georgia. Um, you know, by me going to um, high school my senior year in Cincinnati, you know, they kept, you know, kept in touch with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it could have been out of them, Georgia and uh, our state and uh, Cincinnati. Okay, well, as we always say, we glad you made the correct choice and came to Seton Hall, yeah. came out to South yep. Orange. Must have been a little difficult because the, the heartstrings must have been tugging a little bit to University of Georgia. But you show mm-hmm. up freshman year in the 1998-99 season, and you immediately had a big impact. You, had a, you averaged 7.8 points a game, almost three assists, and you were joining a Pirates team who were coming off of a mediocre 15-15 and season, but there were still two headliners at the program. Like we mentioned, Tommy Amaker just started coaching, but we had Shaheen Holloway at the point guard as well. Now, as far as Amaker was concerned, what was he like as a coach in just his second year as a head man? Well, I always tell people, man, that uh, I don't think I could have played for a better coach that taught the game how to play the right way. And um, I, I think Coach Amica was a, a, a great coach, man. Um, he He knew how to be hard on us. And then he knew, you know, because he was young and he played, he knew like, you know what, these guys need a break today or we might not need to go as hard today because we have a game. Some coaches, you know, they three hours every day, all day, you know what I'm saying? And they is fiery and it's, it's, it's not a break. And sometimes that can wear your body down, especially towards the end of the season. And Coach Amica was, a, you know, was great at that. And he was a great teacher. You know, far as teaching the game the right way, how to, you know, ball movement. Um, and, you know, he was a defensive guy because he came from Duke. You know, it's interesting. Everyone we've talked to who has been coached by uh, by Tommy Amaker has really had nothing but good things to say about him. I mean, as a fan base, I know we felt real jilted as he left after when we'll get to that in a little bit. But no one seems to have a bad word to say about him. Nah. I don't think I could have played for a better coach. 
like I said, I learned a lot about the game of basketball from him, you know, because when you come in from high school to college, you used to being able to get to the basket at ease at any time you want to. But when you get on the college level, you playing against the best of the best across the country. So it's not as easy as it was in high school. So ball movement from side to side is what I learned from him, you know, by playing for him and um, his defense, you know, that was the reason why we were so good that sweet 16 year. We were a great defensive team, you know, a great defensive team. And that was all a part of, you know, him. Well, like we said, you came in freshman year and had some solid numbers, but you were playing behind Shaheen Holloway, who was one of the all-time great Seton Hall point guards. He was just coming mm-hmm. off back-to-back seasons of all Big East honors. What did you learn early on in your career from playing alongside him? Uh, just, you know, just the tough part about it. And um, you're dealing with a guy with experience. You know, uh, on that level, experiences, you know, has a whole lot to do with it. And um, just the strength of being able from transitioning from high school to college, everybody's stronger now. And that's one of the things about playing alongside of him that I learned was the experience that he had and the strength of, you know, the transitioning from high school to college uh, of, you know, being able to get to the basket because you tough, you strong, you could take contact. Well, later that season, Ty, you know, Shaw gets sidelined with the injuries and you get a chance to start eight games and began playing a much bigger role, right? The team down the stretch goes four and three and the only losses were a one-point loss to Pitt and two close losses to top three nationally ranked UConn, right? So how confident yep. in your game were you at that time considering how well the team was playing? Uh, I was very confident, you know, like I tell everybody, man, you know, if people tell you that they, they, they don't want to play as many minutes and don't care about starting, uh, that to me, that's a bunch of baloney, you know. So I got a chance to do that, and my minutes increase. And we end up turning the, the season around because before that, we was on a real bad losing streak. And um, we turned things around. And uh, end up sneaking into the NIT that year, losing to Old Dominion, I think, in the first round. Let's not talk about the NIT and losing <laughs> to Old Dominion. Yeah. Let's just not do that. No, yeah. I'm not going to go there. Yep. yep. But, um, yep, so, you know, uh, Coach Amica gave me the ball. You know, um, I think at that particular time, too, you know, he was playing, uh, you know, a mind game and, you know, battling or testing Shaheen Holloway at that particular time as well. You know, he gave me the ball. Um, I want to say probably those last eight games, I probably was averaging in like in the 30s a minute. I wish we could have get that data. The 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 game logs yeah. don't go back that far. We're getting old, Ty. They, they, they don't they don't have that and, data. And, and not and not even only that though. Just like you said, we had UConn at home. We had them on the ropes. And then in the Big East tournament, it was one bad, horrific call that they made that, to me, if they would have made that call, we would have won. We would have beat them in the Garden um, that year in the Big East tournament. So I want to talk about that because I was, I was there that day. I was in school. I was one of your classmates, right? You, it was uh-huh. the second time you guys had lost to them, but it's the Big East quarterfinals. You guys played that early noon game with that, like, 1-8, one, 1-9 yep, one, yep. matchup. But by the yep. end of the game, that place was already packed. And they were completely behind the underdog pirates cheering you guys on. 
I mean, people talk about the experience of playing in the garden. Tell me about the experience that day in particular. It was it was crazy, right? I remember the first time I went to the garden is when um it was the biggest tournament the year that I came in the half a year and Seton Hall played the last game. And uh the the game before them, my childhood friend Vontigo Comets was playing for Pitt and he hit Villanova for like 40 that game and like a double overtime game and it just brought chills to me to see somebody that I know and then we in the most famous arena all across the country that was my first time in the garden so when I got a chance to play in it I'm one of those type of guys that when the stage is big, I like to try to perform my best because to me, that's where you leave your name and your legacy at. So I always took it personal or it was more of a, a, a drive for me when we played in the garden. So playing against UConn, for one, that was motivation. I'm playing against my local city rival. Uh, that was two. The game being on ESPN was three. So stuff like that, you know, I always got up for stuff like that. So at the end of that game, Seton Hall's down three with a few seconds to go, and Gary Saunders gets fouled, and he goes to the line. Ga- Gary hits the first, and we know that he's got to try to miss the second on purpose so that maybe you guys could get one of those miracle offensive rebound tip-ins and send it overtime. But Gary actually makes the free throw. I and mean, you can see his, like, dejection because he, he meant to miss it, and it actually goes in. Did you guys, like, bust Gary's balls on that one? Uh, we probably did. Um I, I didn't even remember that part of it, but we probably knowing knowing us, we probably did because that was a good one of the close guys that I was on the uh friends with on the team. So I'm quite sure we probably did. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you, you said you chose Seton Hall because you felt like you could become part of something that brought Seton Hall back to that national stage and sophomore year. It actually did. You know, the 1999-2000 season, Seton Hall goes 22-10, and 10-6 and 6 in the Big East, and makes the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament for the first time in ages. You had another great season at 7.8 points per game, almost two assists. It seemed like there was no fall-off uh, at the point guard position when you'd come in and back up Shaheen. Now, the season is primarily remembered for that glory, that that run in the in March, but campus was also struck with tragedy earlier that season. After a big mm-hmm. St. John's win that night, the Bowling fires took place. Now we've talked mm-hmm. to Shaheen before and Remus, and they both shared their emotional take on what happened on that subject. So, how do you recall how things were? Uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, traumatic. And um, the campus. Uh, one thing about the whole student body, I think we came together, and uh, you know, the, and tried to make the best of the situation, and um, you know, and mourn the families that you know lost loved ones and stuff like that. And um, I could just remember, you know, by you being on campus and seeing it. It was, it was, it was tough. But you really got to see how 
important it was when you got people and your family members watching this on CNN and hearing about it all across the country. And, you know, cause you there experiencing it. So you thinking like, Oh, this is just a Seton Hall South orange thing, but it was all over, you know, national TV. Uh, I had friends that, you know, checked on me from, you know, Cincinnati, uh, guys that I might have played high school ball with that went to school, you know, in all different parts of the country. So that, that's it, that would, to me, that put it in perspective, like, wow, this is, you know, really, really huge. But um, I think we rallied behind it and uh, end up having one of the best wins of the season against an undefeated Syracuse team at that particular time. Cause you know, up at the that, dome. yeah, yep. yeah. Cause that game, I think it got postponed because of the fire. And, um, we end up catching them. They were undefeated on the road. And, um, that was to me, that might be one of the best games, not just individually for me, but collectively as a, a team win. But we always used to go up there and play those guys pretty tough, though. I, I can still remember Darius's three-pointer from straight away to, to take the lead late. I, yeah. I don't forget that. Yep. And we was on fire that game. I mean, I think I might have had like three or four threes. Uh, Shaheen had some threes. Of course, you know, Darius, he went crazy that game. And uh, Remus played solid as well. So, um, yep, we used to always play those guys pretty tough up at the Dome. Uh, so let's do this. Let's fast forward to the NCAA tournament. And we are, we already have now the emotional overtime Oregon win in the bag and everybody's riding high on Shaw, but early in that temple game, he goes down with an ankle injury that forces him to be kind of carried off. So we, we know he's out for the game. And this is what I love about sports. It's always the next man up and a chance for someone to put their stamp on history and enter you in stage left, right? And there's there's a million puns in all the the article write ups, like Ty's moment to shine. And I'm not we're not going to do that on this show, okay? We're just we're going to keep it real. You log 37 minutes, score 26 points, five assists, nine of 15 from the floor, seven of 11 from deep, and with 18.9 seconds left, you hit the decisive three from straight away from the top of the key and you give the hall the lead in overtime in front of 19,000 fans. You know, with, with mm-hmm. the type of the game that you were having at that moment, was there any doubt in that in your mind that you're making and taking that final shot? Well, you know, I always live for those final shots, man. Um, a guy, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Michael Curry. He was uh, he played in the NBA. Um, he was players, uh, the head of Players Association at one particular time. He's from our hometown. And he always used to say, one thing about taking those shots, you can't be scared to live with your results. You know, if you hit it, you're going to be, you know, the talk of the town. Or if you miss it, you know, a lot of people could try to, you know, blame you for the game. But I always, you know, took those opportunities and, and you know, tried to run with them. And, um I wanted to take the shot. Uh, I was going to also give the, the the best shot to the best man, you know, to the wide open guy, but I wanted to take it. And um, I set myself up to be in position to try to take it. And, um, you know, we, you know, once that shot goes, that first shot goes in, you start feeling a lot better, you know, confident. So the way I was feeling that day, I felt like I was the one that needed to take the shot. 
no, no offense, Ty. I've gone back and watched that play numerous times. Nobody else was coming to get the ball, and, and it just looked like you were putting that thing up. And I, I had the confidence it was going down. You were you were in the zone that game, but come on, that ball is not getting passed. Come on. <laughs> now, I mean, you're exactly right, and um, you know, it was it was a tense situation. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of pressure, and truth, truthfully. I thought that Temple, that Temple team would would have won a uh, championship that year. They were loaded. Yeah, well, come on, Mike. You know, if Ty passes that ball off to Darius, that's not getting <laughs> that was, passed. That was back. that was probably gonna be the that was probably gonna be the <laughs> next person in line to take the shot. Yeah, but that ball's uh, not coming know, back. But, that but that three, ball is yeah, not coming back. Three yeah, yeah. D is not but passing you, know, you the ball back though. Yeah, yeah, yep. But the thing of it is, too, Darius was like myself in those type of moments. He, you know, he lived for those type of moments. So if anybody else on the court that I would have felt real confident in taking a shot, Remus was a great shooter. Darius had more of a killer instinct in him. Remus was more of an accurate shooter. But in that moment, besides myself, I felt comfortable Darius probably would be the next guy in line. Well, I mean, look, I think everybody in Seton Hall Nation had confidence uh, in that moment and heading into the Sweet 16 because up next you get what we thought was a pretty favorable matchup against Oklahoma State. You know, they were a defensive-minded team. We figured it'd be a game that was going to be pretty low scoring. And in the first two rounds, the Hall shot 52% from three. And then we and then we go back and look at the box <laughs> score that night in the Carrier Dome. And it, it pains me to kind of even say that the team was 7 of 34. And we're, we're teasing Darius here, but we always joke and say there was never a shot that, you know, Darius didn't like. Darius goes mm-hmm. two for 18 from, from the floor that night, or from three, excuse me. You go mm-hmm. two of 10, and, you know, it just – it wasn't in the cards for the hall that night. But the game was still really close up until the final moments. You know, was there any point in that game where Coach Amaker or you're sitting there running point and thinking, hey, we, we got to stop putting up these threes. We got to attack the basket, get to the free throw line, or, or get some easier looks. Um, yeah, at that particular time, that was, that was the conversation, um, at the half, you know, about, about, uh, those shots. But, you know, one thing about it, if that's how you play, you, you got to live with, you know, the results when it's not going that, you know, that your way that particular time. It it was a, 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 a misfortunate thing, you know, Shaheen, He's a, a coach, and, you know, each year now they have the EYBL Nike tournament here where all the big-time high school AAU teams come and all the co- coaches across the country come. So I run into him and Marcus Toniel a lot. It's in July. They'll come down here that week, you know, to come check out the talent. And uh, Sha always gets, gets on to me about that time. Y'all shot – I didn't know we shot that horrible from three. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know what? He he called he called out the same numbers that you called out, and I didn't even know it was that bad. I didn't even know it was that bad. But it was uh, only a four point I, I, loss. I, 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 I tell you this, and it, and it's not an excuse. We was just still running off that high and that adrenaline, and you know, by Shaheen being out, that messed up a lot of our rotation. And playing forty minutes, I didn't know it was that tough on you know being fatigued because I was, you know, averaging anywhere from what, like 20 to like 22 minutes a game. So now I'm playing the whole 40, the whole 40 minutes. And um, 
I just think that's why, you know, why we probably played the way we did. And like I said, it's not an excuse. You have to give Oklahoma State uh, a, a lot of credit. But when me and Shy go back and forth to this day, because, you know, me and him still communicate and talk to this day, he said, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have beat Temple. And I think if he would have played, we would have beat Oklahoma State. Well, we, did, we didn't know until we talked to Shaw a couple summers ago. And we thought that he was just a really badly sprained ankle. And he tells us on the on the interview that he tore ligaments. And we're hoping that he's going to get back. But nobody knew that it was that bad. So what you guys yeah. accomplished was still pretty amazing. Yep. And his ankle, you know, it was real. It was real big and swollen. Um, I knew it was going to be kind of tough for you know him to play in that game he tried everything he could uh our medical staff they did an excellent job on trying to prepare him to play but uh it was just one of those bad situations for him and um you know I kind of felt bad for Shaw too because to me I didn't get a chance to thoroughly watch him his freshman year but to me out of all the years he was in school that was his best year if it wasn't for him that year, he, you know, he led us that whole year, man. And um, I think he was the real main reason for us having the success we had that, that particular year. And Coach Amica got into him by benching him that my freshman year when I started those last eight games. That lit a fire up under Shaheen, and he came back because just like – I know we finna get into the junior year after this one, but – it was kind of the same thing my sophomore year. People didn't really know who was going to start because I finished the season my freshman year. But I have to be honest with myself. He came back when we started school, and he did, he earned his position back. Ty, Ty, I remember the rumors on campus, man. People were saying Ty's running the team better than Shaw. Maybe the injuries are catching up to him, and, and we, we have a changing of the guard here. Um, that That's not – that's not it was there that the conversation was out there i remember it yep yep so like i said it was the junior year those conversations had really got intense but it was it was um the conversations was out there my sophomore year because like i said i finished starting the season uh we turned the, the season around and um but i have to give shout the credit in the world man he came back focused mentally uh, his game was sharp, and he earned the position back. I, I have to be honest about that. Well, you said the team came in on a super high to play against Oklahoma State, but going into your junior season, it still had to be super hyped. I mean, here we have this crazy incoming set of freshmen that were just recruited to join the team. You got preseason top 10 rankings after the Sweet 16 visit, plus these new players coming in. You had to feel super good about the team and you had to be feeling pretty confident about yourself as well you know as you just mentioned you filled in for Shaw as a freshman when he went down you took over at the biggest stage during the NCAA tournament and here we're coming into your upperclassmen years did you feel that based on how you played in the NCAAs regardless of the hype that Andre Barrett was coming in with did you feel like there was going to be a competition for that starting point guard spot? Oh, most definitely. Um, I, I really did. And uh, like you said, when we came back to school, you know, we, we I was on campus. And one of the guys came up to me and was like, hey, yo, I seen you on the cover of a magazine in, in, in Times Square. I'm like, man, get out of here, man. You know, come on, bro. Stop playing. <laughs> and and it, it was the cover of the ESPN, the magazine cover. 
And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a feeling that I could ever express on how that made me feel. And then you got to think, Darius was on the cover of Streets and Smith that year. And I graced two other covers uh, that year. So I was on three covers of the magazine that year. And um, I think it put Coach Amica up underneath a lot of pressure, you know, um, to where he was still young at the time. You know, he was still kind of pretty much fair and new uh, as a coach. And um, he had some decisions to make. And I don't, I'm not, you know, like I tell you, I, I love playing for Coach Amica, but I think those decisions that he had to make would have been tough on any coach. And, um, you know, I worked my tail off that summer because, like I mentioned earlier, I had a guy, uh, Michael Curry, he was like my mentor, and he did probably like seven to eight years in the NBA, and he was the head of, the, you know, the Players Association in the NBA for like maybe four years when he was in the league. And um, he told me after that game that summer, he was like, Ty, you know, bro, if you have a good junior year, man, you might can, you might can, you know, skate and leave school, you know. And the year before that, my childhood rival that I grew up with, William Avery, had left school early from Duke and was one pick from the lottery. He left school early. So, you know, I was mentally focused. Uh, like I said, I worked my tail off that summer. I came back in in great shape. I shot the ball well, um, and looking back at it, statistically, that was my better year out of my years from Seton Hall. I shot better from the free throw line, field goal percentage, uh, three-point percentage, and everything. And just, you know, like I was just saying, you know, Coach Amica, he he had some tough decisions to make that whole whole year, you know. And um, unfortunately, you know, you had some freshmen that, earn a lot of credit that, you know, that they deserve. And you had upperclassmen that, you know, put in a lot of work to get, you know, the school name back to, you know, good graces. Unfortunately, things just didn't go according to plan. And um, looking back at it now, you know, you could look at some of the things that you probably did wrong. And I think everybody can, you know, relive things in their head and probably wish they would have did this, you know, kind of differently. So let's let's take a look at the some of the reasons that were coming into these decisions that Coach Amaker had to make. You had this really talented freshman class coming in, but this was still at a time when college basketball was not used to freshmen coming in and right away playing. I mean, you always had those one-offs, but it's not like it is today where you can have two or three freshmen in the starting lineup, and nobody even blinks anymore. Clearly, there was an issue with the upperclassmen and the freshmen having kind of chemistry. But why do you think things ultimately didn't really click for you guys? Uh, well, you had, like I said, you had some confident freshmen that, that were, you know, confident in their abilities. And you had uh, upperclassmen that were confident in their abilities. And both sides from day one looked at each other as competition. And a lot of people, you know, like I was telling you guys earlier, to me, I I felt like I was the blame guy for that particular season. Um, you listen to Mike Tirico, he'll say some crazy nonsense thing that he don't they don't like these commentators, they are not there in practice in places every day. So they're judging and 
giving their opinions off of what they might have heard somebody that's close to them say or them on the outside looking in. Uh, Dick Vitale even had some, you know, weirdo stuff to say about the situation that he didn't know nothing about. And um, so it was just, you know, like I said, it was just the freshmen were confident in themselves and we were confident in ourselves. And it was, it, it just it never hit right from day one. And um, like I said, I think the toughest decision was the point guard position. You know, media day, that's all I'm getting asked about, about starting, about starting, about starting. And it was a guy, um, I think he passed away. He was a, a, a famous writer for the Star Ledger. Uh, I think he passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, he wrote an article on me. Uh, about you know the up and coming season and I was you know I was straight up and I just told him you know I want to start I want to play I want to you know have a team led by me somehow some way from my understanding it got to coach Amaker and it kind of just it got twisted a little bit so I don't know you know it was a lot of rumors on why he made a decision that he made um, you know I also know too just like we were saying earlier the powerful of being from the New York, New Jersey area, you know. Uh, I think that was something that played a factor in the decision as well. I'm not from that area. Rice High School is a nationally, where well, was, a nationally known basketball uh, powerhouse. Coach Amaro is going to have to go to them versus coming to Georgia getting players. Those, that was the area. And I think if he would have stayed and not went to Michigan, he was going to lock that whole tri-state area down. I just believe that. Ty's trying I to say there's politics and recruiting. There's <laughs> politics and recruiting, folks. Oh, yeah. I, I'm telling you, man, you know, I love New York. I get some of my best friends from New York City. When I was growing up watching basketball, Ken Anderson is my favorite player that ever. I like Ken Anderson over Michael Jordan. I, Ken Anderson was I slept eight Kenny Anderson Kenny Anderson Kenny Anderson so I always wanted to be up in that area to play basketball because like I said in the 80s and the 90s that's where mostly all the top recruits came from Ty you said you're um, a Georgia Tech guy I, I, well, wherever he could have went, he could have went to <laughs> Bar- Bar- Barbary wherever. went there too I, right? I, didn't Marbury go G yep. Tech too right yep he did yep Yep. Yep. But, you know, so it's and then you have all the, 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 the high school talent scouts, all of those, the Tom, what's his name? Tom Kongrowski. I might not. He was from New York. You know, he went to Archbishop Malo, I think, or coach there. That's what Ken Anderson went to. And, you know, Ken Anderson got a lot of attention coming out of high school. So being from that area, and going to school up there, it, it, it was, it had its pros, uh, a lot of pros to it. And I just think, you know, it was a tough decision on Coach Amica. I don't know if he looked back at it, where he, where he probably said he would have did anything differently, or he probably would have kept the same decision, you know. I don't know, you know, but I just know, you know, the freshmen were confident in their skills, and rightfully so, and we were too. And it was just a... It was it wasn't a good marriage, you know. It wasn't a good marriage, and um, that's that's how the season went. You know, you had a lot of talent. If you really look at it, do you think we had more talent that that junior year or my sophomore year? 
Apparently, like I said, the chemistry was there the year before. The team basketball was was obvious, but the talent was on that that next team. You saw it in the way that you guys played in the Big East tournament down the stretch, knocking off top-ranked Georgetown in the second round of the Big East tournament. We thought you guys had a legit opportunity to take that momentum and roll it into that BC matchup. I mean, the talent was there, without a doubt. Yep. And right. one thing I, I, I noticed, too, about college basketball, to me, and that's why I think these kids, they need to do it how they do college football. I think they need to at least let these kids stay where well, it's done now, but these kids should stay in school two to three years of uh, college basketball. And the reason why I say that, you learn so much about the game of basketball by being in college versus just leaving, going straight to the NBA. And uh, your body matures. If you ever heard Larry Bird say he really never likes to draft underclassmen guys. And the experience, you could have a guy that's probably you think is more talented than an upperclassman, but that experience and that know-how and being battle-tested can a lot of times overwhelm the, the, the talent. And I think that's a problem that we had, too. We put a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in underclassmen not saying that they couldn't handle it, but they wasn't battle-tested on the college level. College and high school is totally different. You know, you could be a freshman. You could be one of the top five freshmen in the country, but you could play uh, a junior that might not be as talented as you, but he's stronger. He's mentally tougher because he's been battle-tested in those areas. And that played a whole, a lot of roles too. When you look at these games that where a lot of people that didn't know the situation wouldn't know that. All right, Tyson, let's do this. I mean, I, I want to stay on this subject a little bit longer here, but I want to, I want to beat it to a dead horse. The climax of all this turmoil rears its ugly head during that fateful Georgetown game on the road, right? We had a couple mm-hmm. guests on our show over the years uh, we had Mike McEnany. He was the WSOU broadcaster that gave us his thoughts from when he covered the team that year. We had Marcus Toniel on, and he gave us his up-close-and-personal observation of what went down on the mm-hmm. court and in the locker room. But there's always two sides to the story, right? So, mm-hmm. Ty, yep. we want to give you an opportunity here. Share us with us how things went down from your end that led to the unfortunate locker room fight. Well, we was, we was uh, playing Georgetown in Georgetown, in D.C. And for those that don't know, Georgetown, I never played good against Georgetown, but one time when we beat them in the garden, they were a very physical, strong-natured team. And if you're not prepared for that, they're going to, you know, they're going to overpower you. So we didn't play good as a team. And Eddie, at the time, you know, he was, Harold to leave school early. So you had Jerry Krause there. Uh, I think Red Arback was at the game. And these guys, they sit in front row. And, you know, you kind of got a feeling of who they're there to see. And, you know, he he wanted the ball, you know, he, he you know, because he probably know that they was there for him, you know. And like I said, Georgetown might have didn't have the big, big name, big men, but they were strong and physical and they could play. And we all as a team struggled that game. And the emotions got high 
and words got to change. And, you know, that's how, to me, in my eyes, it escalated. You see, uh, it was a lot, like I said, it was a lot of big time general managers, basketball operation guys that were there at that particular game. You could see them, you know, while you warming up, they walking in. And at that particular time, I think Eddie probably was the most, uh, had the biggest name on the guy that they felt like was going to make, you know, the big jump to the NBA at that particular time of both teams, you know, of our team and uh, their team. I think he was the biggest name guy. So, you know, I think, you know, it's a lot of pressure coming on, you know, playing that game, knowing that those guys are going to be there. You want to perform. I mean, everybody did. You know, you want to perform a certain way. And you looking at it like, oh, if I have a bad game, they're going to put this check mark on my name and it da 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 da. So it was a lot of tension that a lot of people didn't look at that part of it that I felt was some of the reason why, you know, tensions flared that particular day. There's the rumor from Marcus that Tommy called a play in the huddle and said, hey, ball needs to go to Eddie here. And then on one possession, you took a shot. And on the next possession, Darius took a shot. Is is that true? Uh, you know what? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not going to say that that was or that wasn't true. Um, you know, the thing of it is, Darius and myself would probably never disobey coaches' commands. If we took a shot, it was probably because it was a wide-open shot. It wasn't nothing that we just did and say we was going to do and because of Coach Amica drew it up. I don't, I don't, that, that was, you know, and I'm not saying that Coach Amica did that. Uh, he might have did, he might have did, and I don't remember that, that, you know, that far. But, like I said, it it wasn't nothing me and Darius just said, you know what, we're not going to listen to Coach. We're going to just go take these next two shots. And, you know, if he did say that, it wasn't like Eddie was dominating those guys to where Coach was like, give him the ball and let him – clear out and you know and then too like I said I think it was too much placed on their plate for them being freshmen and that was a big mistake on the whole on the team they they put too much on those guys plate and forgot about the guys too that was a part of building building this whole thing the years before you know it's it's tough coming in as a freshman putting all that on your plate you know it, it's tough as you, you know, as it, head- it, it's real tough. I'm sorry, Ty. As you're heading back to the locker room, do you know it's going to go down, or did it kind of just now, spontaneously uh, well, erupt? I, I, I felt, I, I felt it. You know what I mean? I, I felt it. Uh, and like I said, words got to change. Uh, and then you know, it just went from the freshmen versus the upperclassmen. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise at that point, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And you know, like I said, man, the tension was there from day one. You know what I mean? When they even before the first day of practice or when they was on a recruiting visit the year before that they got there, the tension was just there. You know, it was you had to be Greg Popovich or (laughs) or Rick Carlisle to me to be able to handle what Coach Amica had to deal with. You know, it was there from day one. It was, you know, they'll walk past. I was always Marcus Tony L was pretty cool, but like Dre and Eddie, it, it, they were there like, man, listen, bro, this is our show. 
And, you know, we there like, man, listen, you know, we here, we fighting for us too. You know what I mean? So it was, it was tensions from day one. You know what I mean? It was going to be hard for any, any coach probably to, you know, make the better of that situation. Like I said, it was there from day one. At some point, whether it was either that year or maybe some time down the road, did you guys ever get a chance to kind of make amends, you and Eddie, or even just the upperclassmen versus the uh, that that group? It's like being in a relationship. You you, you it, if it's genuine, it's genuine. It wasn't genuine, but we made up. But it wasn't genuine. He knew it. I knew it. They knew it. Everybody else knew it. But you tried to do it for the sake of the team. But if it's not genuine, it's not going to work. You know, you could try to fake it as much as you can, but it it, it, it wasn't going to work. You know, um, you know, we, we, we tried it, you know, even we might've had a couple of good games to where you were like, Oh, now it's coming along. Then the next couple of games, you'll be like, Oh, they back at it again, you know? <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you remember, that season two, we played Illinois at Illinois. I do. You guys were up by nineteen yeah, this, going into the half. Yeah, this is a good one. Yep. yep. Now, now, hey, this this is what I want y'all to go do. If you go back and watch that game, Shaheen couldn't have played that bad and not got replaced. And I'm gonna just leave it at that. I'm gonna just leave it at that. I'm gonna just leave it at that. Shaheen couldn't have played that bad and. The way Frank Williams was going. Oh, he was a bad boy. It, it, it was Frank just, Williams it, it, was a bad Coach, boy. Coach, Coach Amica, like I said, man, was just underneath a lot of pressure. He was up underneath a lot of pressure, man. You got to think. You got those um, AAU coaches, uh, uh, Salmon out of uh, the, the players. Johnny Salmon's, yeah. Oh, uh, man, you should have seen him that whole year. He walking through the coach's office like George Jefferson. You, you, he, <laughs> he, I mean, for real. And, and Coach Amica, to me, wasn't built strong enough to, you know, to step in. You uh, know, he was riding right? the hot. There's yeah, maturity, he was right? Hot. He was young. Yeah, he was only his third or fourth yeah, season. He, You're right, yeah. Yeah, he was riding the high off of the – the preseason accolades and stuff like that. And like I said, he was still young at that particular time as a coach. So like I said, the best of the best, this would have been a situation that I would have liked to see the best of the best, the veterans of college basketball coaches, how they would have handled this situation. And like I said, the AAU coaches start to play a role. They were going, Salmons was going around bad mouthing me. Don't know me at all. So, here you go. Y'all have seen the, the, the players that that the players have produced. You know, you got if you go look at they alumni that played for the Tim Thomas players, at the time they was the Tim Thomas players when I was in school. Now they just the players. And um if you go look at their roster from all Kyrie Irving, uh Eddie Griffin played for them. Um I mean the list they got a, a long list. So now if you're Coach Amica, I got this kid from Georgia. Uh, he's he, he's a decent ball player, but I got I got I, I got to stay in New Jersey, so I got to deal with the players and Salmons and Rice High School. I got to deal with these players. Who you think he's going to cater to the most? Oh, without a doubt, he's looking. He's looking forward as okay, much as okay, he's looking here. Okay, you see what I'm saying? You 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 you, and that's over the years. 
that's what I knew that I was up against. You know, I was up against that. And, you know, sometimes it hurt the, the, when you think about it and look back at it, you know, the, the politics of college basketball. And like I said, being from that New Jersey, New York area, it comes with a lot of, uh, a lot of pros especially when you've been in that area. And I think that's what played a part on me not starting uh, that particular year. You know, it, it, it wasn't. And, and the thing of it was coach Amica wasn't the same coach that year versus the other two years. Coach Amica made Shaheen Holloway cry at Boston college his senior year. He made him cry in the locker room at halftime. And if anybody knows Shaheen Holloway, Shaheen Holloway is a tough New York City point guard. You know, tough, tough. He made him cry. His that junior year, guys was coming to practice late. And Dick Vitale and Mark Tarico don't know this though. You know what I'm saying? They don't know this. And you know, maybe it seemed like I'm lashing out, but. It's been a lot of hurt in my heart over the years, especially getting blamed for this when a lot of people don't know a lot of the things that went on. Well, no, we, you we, don't we have to. So, so, now, so, so now you got you got you got your upperclassmen that were there before the freshmen. They know how hard Coach Amica coached them. We came up in the ranks. We get yelled at and fussed at. They don't get that treatment when they come. Now, were they that good to get that much special treatment? Ah. <sighs> You know, hey, hey, Ty, look, look, I, I know it's a business. We mentioned at the top of the show, but the minute that Tommy had a chance to kind of hightail it out after that season, he was running out the door. So I, I think, okay, he realized, now, 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 right? let me ask y'all this. Do y'all think he left because of the heat of that, that previous season? Or do you think he I think left? it's a com- combination of both. I mean, you got to take the money in this business. You know, the money that's coming out of a program like Michigan is always going to be, you know, 10 times greater than what you're getting at a Seton Hall especially back then. But yes, I absolutely think that he could go back to the Midwest, you know, get away from the, you know, all the hoopla, what was going on. He had lost control. So yeah, it was, a, it was an opportunity. Yeah. And, 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 and see, and you used a beautiful word, man, a beautiful word. He lost control. And a lot of people don't know that man. A lot. He let a lot of things slide that he didn't do the previous year. So now you got your guys that were battle tested seeing this and was like, Whoa, this ain't what was been going on these previous years. You know, and I also say, too, though, you know, it's easier to recruit at Michigan than it is at Seton Hall. You could bring a recruit, a top guy to Michigan and Notre Dame on ABC or NBC, and they bring him out on the field at halftime and have his name on the big projector screen. You you know, we didn't have that at Seton Hall, you know. <laughs> Oh, so, we, oh, we know. I, uh, <laughs> we went yeah, there. You we know. know. So <laughs> I looked at it to me like, you know, he felt at that particular time that, you know, Michigan is uh, a nice, uh, you know, probably a nicer situation. It's easy to recruit kids to come there and, and things of that nature. Uh, I do think the previous season, just like you said, has something to do with it. But I also think if Coach Amica would have stayed at Seton Hall, he was been a lot down to me, New York and New Jersey, as far as the recruits. I, I really believe that because he was a people's person. And I just think, you know, he, he, um, I just think that. But I also think 
Coach Amica personality that junior year allowed those guys to come and dictate a lot of things uh far as like the Jim Salmons and stuff like that. They would they would pretty much at Seton Hall every day almost. And to me, they had too much access to our coach's office and things of that nature that that they shouldn't have had at that particular time. And I think that put a lot of pressure on Coach Amica on decisions. Because like I said, Shaheen Holloway couldn't have had a game like Illinois and stayed in the game without getting replaced. He bent Shaheen my freshman year. We'll end up this season with two points. One, didn't really work out for Tommy out in Michigan, though, did it? Whether it was easy to recruit or not. That's my one shot at Tommy Amaker for the broadcast. And two, I just have to correct Mike. Mike, there's no going back to the Midwest. I know, Mike, you're a Jersey guy. You don't understand <laughs> geography. But Tommy was from the Mid-Atlantic. He went my, up my to... My bad, my bad, my bad. So... With Tommy Amaker moving on, it created this season in transition at Seton Hall. You know, you end up having lots of departures outside of just Coach Amaker. You end up having both Eddie Griffin and Sam Dallenberg declaring for the NBA draft. You have a brand new coach coming in, Louis Orr, who is, you know, kind of an unknown in the big picture. You know, he, he had some smaller head coaching jobs previously. So with all this turmoil that the team went through during the junior season and all this transition, what was it like dealing with a brand new head coach in your senior year? Uh, it, it, it was it was it was it was different. It's like um, I don't know if you guys are heavy into football. It's like when a a quarterback gets a new offensive coordinator and they're used to running a certain thing or used to running or used to the things that happen, you know the years when they had the other uh, offensive coordinator. And uh, it was just different. You know, like I said, man, outside of the, the tough decisions that Coach Amica made, I, can, I can't say nothing bad about the guy. I can't. You know what I mean? I'll be lying to you guys, and I don't want to do that. I want to be real as possible. Um, outside of that, Coach Amica to me was a grade-A coach. And um, – it, it was difficult, but the thing of it is that you might not know. Lewis Orr and myself went to the same high school in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. Okay. I went to that high school. Yeah, yeah. Me and him had a relationship because he was kind of halfway recruiting me when he was at Syracuse. Him and uh, George Jackson that came on as uh, an assistant at Seton Hall my senior year. Y'all don't remember George Jackson? Oh, George, George the big guy, like the big? Yeah, oh. big, big guy. That was my head coach at my high school in Cincinnati. Him and Lewis Orr was best friends. That's how Coach Jackson came to Seton Hall. He left Cincinnati, Withrow High School, the high school that I went to, the high school that Coach Jackson went to, the same high school that um, Lewis Orr went to. That's how that, uh, you know, that's that was the – you know, the relationship as well. But like I said, playing for Coach Amica and playing for Coach Orr is not a diss song, but it was just maybe because that's what we was used to for three years. And I get it. It was different. It was different. You know, it was different. I'm not going to, you know, say who was better, who it was it or whatever. Well, let, but me, let me say this. Was, it, let me say this. I, I get your analogy. 
relative to the offensive coordinator change in the football. I am a big football guy. So having to learn a whole new system in that short period of time is going to take a transition of a year or two. But and and I clearly thought in the long term, Tommy ran a better offensive system than Lewis. I'm not going to even sugarcoat that. Now, it, it, he, it, it, well, just go ahead and put it out there, man. He was. It was. It was. But, but Louis Hallmark. But hang on. But Louis Louis Hallmark was his defense as well. And you said that the the true strength of that Sweet 16 team was the defense that you played under Tommy. So was there a parallel, at least from that perspective, of the hard-nosed defensive aspect of their philosophies? Okay, well, the difference was Coach Amica was more of a man-to-man defensive guy. Coach Orr wanted to implement that Syracuse 2-3 matchup kind of zone defense. Now, a lot of times, as you know, these coaches recruit guys that they think that fit their systems. So a lot of times when you first come to a school, you don't have the guys that can fit the system that you're coaching. Like, for instance, if you ever notice Syracuse recruit the same type of guys, guys that are really not good individual defensive guys. If you look at Lawrence Moten, he really wasn't a good individual defensive guy. You look at Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony wasn't a real good individually defensive guy, but they're alone. So they could play that matchup zone. To me, that that was the hardest defense in college basketball history. Now, even though we played good against they 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 zone, it was tough because you got those long wings that they might have. Shumford, uh, you know, even uh Hart was a, a a tall point guard. So they long, they have a lot of long guys, so they could cover a lot of ground. And Coach M I mean Coach Orr tried to implement that to us and we really didn't have the the size and the know how for that if that makes sense to you. Sure, Coach sure. Amica was more of a man-to-man type of defense. And um, that that's where the two different uh, guys of defensive, uh, you know, strategies came from. But, you know, we worked day and night even with Coach Orr on the little matchup zone thing that he did. But, you know, that was straight from behind of him being in that system, you know, for those years that he was there. Okay, mm-hmm. so you end your playing days at Seton Hall – and you actually catch on in the old developmental league in 2002 mm-hmm. and three. You played for the North Charleston Low Gators. Now, just Low for Gators. everybody to know, they ended up relocating to Fort Myers in the fall of 2004 and became the Florida Flame before they closed mm-hmm. up shop in 2006. Now, you averaged about 15 minutes, four points, almost two assists. Uh, so you only played in about a third of the league's game that year. But, you know, mm-hmm. these days, the renamed G League actually seems like a place where guys can go and improve their games and get a shot in the league. You know, the D League always, to me at least, seemed initially like another iteration of the CBA, just another place to put guys that can play to a certain level. Now, you were there. What was it like in the early days of the D League for you? Uh, well, the thing, what it is, I, I ran into a, a, another situation where it was a guy by the name of Tia Brown. He was a guard and he had did the year before that, uh, a year with the Houston Rockets. So those guys that had NBA ties, they were getting the most minutes and the most look at, at that particular time. And, uh, that's what I had to go up against. And, you know, he would, he, during that year, he would get called up 
they would send him back down. And then the following year, he did a whole year with the Lakers. And T.L., you know, he was a good basketball player. And uh, I don't know if you remember Corey Benjamin. Sure, sure. Um, Corey Benjamin had game. And yeah, and um, Ime Duka. He uh, he just got a head coaching job in the NBA. He was under pop at San Antonio, and he did a couple of years in the NBA. You know, we were all on the same team. Uh, we had to play against uh, guys like uh, you remember Omar Cook that went to St. John. Oh yeah, oh, he yeah. was with yeah he was yeah he was with Fedville. Uh, so it was a, it was a good league uh, at that particular time, but the guys that you know got the most attention and the time were the guys that they felt like you know were gonna get call ups or things of that nature. You know what I mean? Okay. And I didn't start the season with those guys. I got called in the D league, you know, uh, at after the season had you know already started. You know, just just to just to clarify, Ima Duka is now the Boston Celtics head coach. Yes, exactly. So he was on our team as well, um, and uh, you know it was a good league. But you know it's it's totally different now than when um, when I was playing. Uh, you know just the rules, the, the the salaries, and you know these guys they're playing in NBA arenas now. You know, we was playing in civic centers and stuff of that nature. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, we yeah. we 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 took a drive up uh, up to 15 here in California to go to watch uh, in Ontario a couple of the former Pirates, Angel Delgado and Desi Rodriguez playing. Yeah, you're not kidding. They're playing in big time arenas. They're playing, and it's a it's a better product, I think, all around. Yeah, it, it, it's more like the. Uh, the farm leagues in baseball now, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. To where the NBA team has a ball club, like, in, you know, that they, like a farm system to where those are guys that they call up and down when somebody get hurt or, you know, signing guys to 10-day contracts or whatever. So uh, that was the difference between when I was in the NBDL and the G League. Now, we, you know, it wasn't like we was the locators. We had an affiliation with the Hawks or anything like that. It, it, it's totally different now. Well, hey, post-basketball and most recently, you've become heavy into the big club promoting scene. Tell us a little bit of how you got into this and what's up next for you. Uh, well, um, you know, I came home Well, I stayed in New York uh, after college and then uh, for a little minute. And then um, I came back, played in the D-League and things. Uh, then, you know, USBL and a couple of ABAs and stuff like that. And then it was a guy from my hometown that I've, you know, been knowing ever since, um, you know, I was younger. And, he, you know, he's an older guy. And uh, that's the, the, the business that he got into. And he was like, man, you know, you – a sports guy, you're in the entertainment, uh, you know, you like, you know, the culture of music and things like that. Uh, I think, you know, this would be a good little field to, to get into. And um, that's what I did. And, um, you know, it's been working out for me. So that's where we at now. Okay, yep. Ty, before we let our guests go, we make them uh -huh. walk the plank. We're going to ask uh -huh. you five rapid-fire questions. We want five rapid-fire answers back from you. Don't uh -huh. give it too much thought. Just give us the first okay. thing that pops off in the top of your head. You think you're ready uh -huh. for this? Yep. All right, Ty, here we go. Question number one, most points scored in any game at any level? 33. Which team was your biggest arch rival? Westside High School. Toughest road environment? Syracuse. Toughest opposing player you ever played against? 
Kali Elami. Best Seton Hall player you've ever seen play. Pow. I'm gonna I'm gonna veto Tom on the bonus question today. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go off off record here. So you're from Georgia. Are the peaches that good? Yes. <laughs> Mike, that's a wimpy question. And before we go, let me ask both of you guys: Who was the best player in Seton Hall history? Oh, that's Mike, not fair because if Mike, you go you back, can go and, first. Mike, you I, go first. I, I can't go back to the Walter Dukes and those kind of guys. But if you look at some of their numbers, they're they're off the charts, right? But well, I'm I'm going off guys that you guys seen play, not off of old records. Or you're you're, you're going to hate oh, okay. me, Ty. Uh, Ty, you, I'll go first. You're, you're going to hate me, Ty. My, my two favorite guys, and I thought were great players that I got a chance to watch, are Andre Barrett and Shane Holloway. Okay, no, that's fair. I want you to be fair. I want you to be fair. I, I've been watching. I, I grew up in in Maplewood, which is right next to South Orange. So I've been watching the Pirates since '87. So I've seen Mark Bryant on, and and for my money, the best player I've ever seen wear the jersey is Terry DeHair. Okay, you know that was going to be my answer, right? But what Powell did for Seton Hall, he overshot. I man, yeah. oh yeah, he my did. goodness. He did. I, 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 you know, me and Rob Jackson, the assistant that was there on, up underneath Amaker, me and him still communicate to this day. And I just tell him, man, um, I was going to get a rank. I always said it was the hair far as like if you had to put the best player in school history. But I'm, I have to go with Powell, man. That kid, um, he was amazing at Seton Hall, bro. He it's was not he a was, bad was answer. I mean, but, it's but, not like I'm offended by it. No, no, but you, but you get the answer though, right? So Terry's part of a collective great team, and Terry just went to work every night. What Powell did on certain occasions during his junior season and even parts of his senior season before the concussion, Tom, I know you're going to give me crap for this, but he put them on his back as an individual showman in some big moments. So I, I get where Ty's coming from. We got to hold this debate off. We got to hold this debate off. It's a, it's a good question. And Ty, I'm, I'm excited you asked us something, man. No one I, ever, yeah, no one yeah, ever asked yeah. us for I, our I, uh, Cause I, I always ask myself that like, what would the majority of people say to me? I thought the majority would go with the hair, you know? Um, but I think power um, overshadowed that man. So I, I'll, I'll end with this Ty. Uh, Ty. I gave you my answer as Shah and Andre. That's just not fair uh-huh. to you, man. You you got sandwiched into two in between two Seton <laughs> Hall greats, right? So you are, and I'm not trying to like puff you up now, but you were great in your own right. And we we joke about this when we do these interviews with ball players every summer. Tom and I got up, you know, we put together an intro as we lead into the interview, and I always say it's not fair. And Tom's like, stop with that. It's not fair crap. And I'm like, no, no. Life's not fair. Certain guys get forgotten in their Seton Hall fandom because of where they fit in the historical context. So if you're not sandwiched between those two guys and you take your moment against Temple in the NCAA tournament, I think Ty Shine is held on a different platform in terms of Seton Hall history. I really do. I think with, with me, with Seton Hall, to me, besides the that Michigan game, I don't know if it's the more talked about game in school history behind but behind that versus the the Sweet 16 game. I don't know in school history now. Uh I mean, can y'all help me out on that? I think past the national title game, I think all three of your NCAA tournament games, you I think you could just bundle them 
into into like one conversation with you know Oregon being finished by that crazy drive that Shaheen does, you taking care of Temple, and that uh, and the fact that we almost got Oklahoma State done, and it kills me that any team with Doug Gottlieb actually beat us. I am just it just it just bothers me at my core, but. I think you, you're not wrong. Hang on, hang on. Duke, loses. Duke loses on the other half of that draw, and you guys would have had a matchup against Florida. And hey, Florida, and, and, that, and, that, right? and to me, every that's what everybody was talking about. <laughs> like, like they knew that that game was going to actually take place. Coach K against Coach Amakin, and both of us mm-hmm. end up losing. Yep, yeah, I know. Well, Tyre, we can't thank you enough for joining today. It was a lot of fun talking to you, going down memory lane, and we wish you nothing but the best going forward. Okay, and I thank you guys for having me. No, no it's our pleasure, man. It was great stories. It's a big part of the show that we enjoy the most. Really do. All right, Ty- thanks. Tyshawn, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Elcoast Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. 